This is episode number 71, Valentine's Day with Rachel Starr. Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today needs no introduction. It's Rachel Starr. She's the biggest porn star in the world, and she's a good friend of mine. On the off chance that you don't know who she is, you can find her on Instagram, at Rachel Starr, and you can visit her at her website, therachelstar.com, which I have developed part of. Anyhow, we spent two hours together on Valentine's Day, and I asked her some of the tough questions. For example, why in the world she would choose to be a porn star? We get into that. And she opened up to me in such a way that afterwards she told me that some of the stuff she said she's never shared publicly before. And by the way, if you are new to the podcast, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe on whatever app you are listening on. We've got some really cool guests booked like Evan Carmichael. And if you enjoyed this one today with Rachel Starr, please leave a five-star rating. It helps us tremendously. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Please give it up for the one, the only, Rachel Starr. All right, Rachel Starr, welcome to Growth Mindset University. And more importantly, happy Valentine's Day, my friend. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, now what's interesting is that you wanted to do this on Valentine's Day. You specifically picked this date over a month ago. Why did you want to do that? Because I'm a hopeless romantic deep down inside my heart. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm very much uh, the same way, very much the same way. I'm a hopeless romantic. What, what do you mean by that, a hopeless romantic? What, what makes you a hopeless romantic? Oh my God. I am all about the fairy tale relationship and, um, you know, love that lasts a lifetime, um, connection and bonding and chemistry and all of those feel good emotions and having that rock, you know, that king and queen, you know, them against the world kind of thing. Um, so I saw it on the schedule. There was like all these different dates and times and I saw that one on the schedule and I was like, hmm. I think I want to do my podcast on Valentine's Day because, like, I know that by default, we're going to have to talk about love at some point, and it's my absolute favorite subject to talk about, so. Yeah, I saw it come through on Valentine's Day, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, does she even realize that, it's, that she did it on Valentine's Day? But yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but there's a couple of elephants in the room here, Rachel. I'm going to address one of them right now. You talk about having that rock. What does having that rock look like when you're the biggest porn star in the world? 
how do you manage the relationship when you've got manage your relationship with your work? See, I'm almost fumbling for words. Like, how does that play itself out? It's hard. <laughs> it's it's definitely challenging in all the ways that I think most relationships don't have to think about. Um, so I've been involved in the sex industry since I was 18 years old. So I was first an exotic dancer, a um, little bit easier to be in a relationship in that setting, but still very complicated. And then I decided, Oh, let me just progress this into being a porn star. And, um, I had no idea how hard it was going to be to be in a relationship with uh, that being my profession. And at that time, I also had no idea how huge my brand was going to explode. You know, like, how do you foresee that? I mean, obviously you want it to, but you know, you, it, it doesn't, you get years down the road and all of a sudden it hits you and you're like, whoa, didn't see this one coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, but you're happy about it. So um, being in a relationship as any sex worker I think can attest to is very, very difficult from the standpoint as by default, it's not traditional. And what I mean by sex, I use sex worker loosely. Um, for me, a sex worker is somebody that is a webcam model, is an exotic dancer, is a, um, is a porn star. Um, you know, I kind of lump all of that in, um, maybe you do phone sex, you know, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's phone sex hotlines, there's texting, there's texting lines now. <laughs> hmm. Um, so all of that in a sense, like I feel that if your job is revolved around sexuality and sexual freedom and making money on that sexual freedom in any way, shape, form or fashion that you could loosely be categorized as a sex worker. So with that being said, um, it's non-traditional in the sense of most people get in a monogamous relationship and society's view of a normal relationship is monogamous. And it also means that no one else sees you naked or in lingerie, um, except for them behind closed doors. You know, like nobody gets to share that and they don't have to share that with anybody. Um, also, um, the way that you talk and flirt and say naughty things to your significant other, normally they don't have to worry about you doing those things with other people. But as a sex worker, that's our job is we fulfill fantasies and, um, and we are really good at it. <laughs> and so that means that by default, like you are sharing those things that in a monogamous relationship would be sacred. Those things aren't sacred in a relationship with someone like me. Would you call it an open relationship? Would you go so far as to call it that? Um, well, it, it depends. Um, I've had both. I've had open relationships and I've had monogamous relationships. Yeah. And let me explain that because that's probably a sentence and people reeling going like, wait a minute, <laughs> by definition. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I, read about, I read about an open relationship with, with Neil Strauss uh, you know, the author of that book, The Game, and, 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 but in his book, The Truth, how he tried open relationships, and it was, 
it ended up being an absolute disaster, an absolute disaster. But tell me your experience, Rachel. Okay. So, um, my first true open relationship, I was 21 years old. I'd never done it before. And, um, he slowly introduced me kind of into the swingers world. Like they had these swingers clubs and, um, and I was a dancer at the time. And so I was already kind of pretty open, definitely with my body, um, and sexuality, you know, being around me all the time. Um, but I was nervous cause I was like, wait a minute, if we go to a swingers club, is everybody going to be having sex and like, just like one big orgy? Do I have to be involved in that? Like, is it going to be weird if I'm not involved in it? And like, you know, I didn't know like what to expect. And, uh, so I was very nervous and he was like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. It is so chill. If you just want to go there and, and observe and we drink and have a good time with each other and just chit chat with people, we can do that. If you do get a wild hair and you want to make out with me and whatever, he was like, we, it can be just us making out in front of everybody. If you want to make out with another girl, you can make out with another girl. Like he was like really open about it. And I'm like, okay, wow, this is different. And so I went and in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not making out with anybody. Like I'm going to go there, I'm going to observe, I'm going to make out with my boyfriend, have drinks, people watch and just kind of see what this is all about. We're going to go home, we're going to have sex and I'll check that off as I did that, you know? And I went there and I was kind of like in my box and for like the first 30 minutes and I got a couple drinks in me and then, you know, he's like rubbing on my leg and then I'm, I'm giving him little kisses and, um, and then all of a sudden like we're making out and I'm looking around and I'm seeing like all these other people, how like just open they, I mean, they're wearing really like flagrantly hardly any clothes. Like some of the girls, like, I'm like, whoa. Um, and people were like hardcore making out. And then all of a sudden I looked over and I see this girl and her head is like bobbing up and down. Like there's like these sheer black curtains, you know? So it's like, you could hardly see. So it was kind of secluded, but I could see her head bobbing up and down. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a BJ. Pretty mm -hmm. sure she's giving her man a blow job. So I'm like, Hey, <laughs> is that what I think it is? And he was like, yep. It is. And he was like, are you comfortable? And I'm like, I'm fascinated because I'm an exhibitionist. And that was how I, but I, I didn't even know what that word was. I just knew that I wasn't modest and I was really okay with being an exotic dancer. Like I had no qualms about it. It was really easy for me to get on stage and no problem. And he was like, well, good. If that fascinates you. And I was like, could I do that to you in here right now? And we would not get kicked out. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm so game right now. Like game, <laughs> you know? So one thing led to another and um, that happened. And that was my very first experience being in one. And then my next, I'm, by the way, I'm full throttle. It's zero or all the way for me. Mm. And so that was my kind of, I was mid throttle there. Like it was all a new experience. So the next time I went, I was like, mm, I'm going to find this a little hottie girl, bring her in here. And we're just going to see what happens. And, um, and I did. And that was the beginning of my open relationship experience. Um, we started doing it regularly. I loved it. Um, that I had amazing friends. I, I hit a lot of insecurities inside me. Um, 
because it was like, Ooh, my boyfriend's kissing another girl and Ooh, he's grabbing her boobs. And Oh, he's, he's, uh, he's really getting turned on, <laughs> you know, like, wow. And it's not necessarily me that's being the one turning him on. No jealousy. Um, there were times. Yeah. So, and I should backstep it with that. So we communicated on a level that was like almost tedious the level of communication that we did, but it was well worth it because, you know, so every time we would go, it would be a new experience. And afterwards we'd go home and on the ride home, we'd be talking about that experience. And he was really good at asking me questions like, um, you know, what was your favorite thing that you saw tonight? What was your favorite experience? And so I'd tell him that one, you know, and then he'd be like, okay, what was the most shocking experience that you saw? And so then I'd tell him that one. And then he'd say, did you have any experiences that made you feel uncomfortable? And if there was, I would tell him. And if there wasn't, then I'd be like, no, I was good this time. Like I didn't know everything was all good. Um, so he was really good about setting a foundation for there to be this really open conversation, not waiting until the next day. It was like, immediately we walk out of the club, we're getting in the car and it's like on the ride home, we're having a heart to heart about, you know, emotions. And he made such a safe place to have those emotions because sometimes emotions aren't logical. And, uh, there were times where I was jealous. Like there was this girl, oh my God, Jordan. Oh, she was drop dead gorgeous. And, um, I didn't, I, I used to have like a pretty flat chest. I was only a 34A. I'm a 34 double D now. So it's kind of hard to imagine, but I used to be flat chested before I got my boob job. And, um, there was this girl, she was blonde and blue eyes, like ice blue eyes. And her makeup was perfect. And she had an hourglass figure and she had these natural boobs that were super perky. And, um, she was alone. And those are mm. unicorns in a swingers club. And so of course, immediately I'm like, Hey, we'll buy you a drink over here. And so she comes and sit down and she was actually such a super cool girl. And I was like really vibing with her. And all of a sudden, like, she's like, why don't you do a body shot off of me? And I did. And then she did one off of me and then it kind of spilled. And so she lifted up my neck and started making out with me. And that was all cool. And then she whispered in my ear, can I make out with your boyfriend too? And there was this moment inside me where I'm like smiling on the outside, but on the inside I'm going, oh my God, but I think you're prettier than me. And I'm not sure if I want my boyfriend making out with a girl that's prettier than me, <laughs> but I can't say that, you know, I was like, yeah. do I ruin the entire moment or do I just say, yeah, you can make out with my boyfriend. Yeah. You know, and so of course I said yes, and so they make out, and I'm all like, mm -hmm, I'm totally okay with this situation right now, <laughs> and I'm watching it, and he went to like grab and pull her hair back out of her face and kept his hand on her neck while they're like hardcore making out, and I went, oh my god. <laughs> that's what you do to me. You're not allowed to do that to other people. That's what you do to me. But that was my inner commentary happening. And I worked through it. Like I was okay. So we had this cool little thing that anytime something uncomfortable happened, rather than making a scene, we would give someone a little tap. It was like a little double tap 
where the other person wouldn't notice that we did it or anything like that. But once we felt that double tap, that meant don't immediately stop and make it awkward. Just kind of, okay, time to like back off or be like, oh, you know, my, my throat is so dry. Can you hand me that drink? And it makes whatever's happening stop. And then he can re-engage at that point. He would know to like pull me in closer. And we had a rule that like anytime there was a tap and we stopped something and we brought it in closer, we would both kiss each other, tell each other that we loved each other and that we are both taking note of that moment. And we'll make sure we talk about it in the car on the way home. What was the biggest thing you learned from an open relationship? I learned that um, there's a difference between... um, non-attachment and detachment Mm, well explain that what's that mean so well first off detachment's really freaking hard Uh right like and 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 we we, (laughs) i won't go into detail but we were talking about this probably two hours ago um a little bit uh explain what detachment means to you so detachment means that when you detach from something you revert back. You literally, you can almost imagine someone, you know, detaching and like moving backwards and kind of like their shoulders sink in and they just kind of go like isolation, right? Like they're detaching completely from the situation. Like, Ooh, I don't like that. And then there's non-attachment, which means you're not attached to the outcome. Right. Either way of anything that happens. It's just, you're non-attached to outcome rather than being detached to outcome. You're non-attached. So detached comes from a place of insecurity and fear and, Oh, that, that hurts or doesn't feel right. Or, you know, you have all these expectations or rules or stories that you've put into your head as to why you're detaching and non-attached says everything happens perfectly as it is. And I'm happy whether this does happen and I'm happy whether it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's so many other elephants in the room. You know, people are probably egging me on like, like, why the heck hasn't he asked why the hell she's a porn star yet? Why hasn't he asked that? And we're going we're gonna to get to that. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to put a, a, a teaser here because we're going to get there. But do you think non-attachment, a state of non-attachment is attainable, Rachel? Um, I think that through constant practice it is but i think that there should be realistic expectations from where you're starting to how fast you're going to get there so where i was at 21 years old and learning it for the very first time let me tell you how many hiccups i had in that car ride home (laughs) a lot I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, we had so many sit down, multiple hour long conversations of, you know, what happened. And sometimes you don't know. It's sometimes it's hard to express feelings. Like, you know, you know, your easy ones, like I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry, you know, like those are easy ones. But the key is to dig deeper into those emotions. Like, you know, I could be like, hmm, it made me feel angry seeing you put your hand on her neck and kiss her exactly how you did me. It made me angry. Okay, give me another emotion that's deeper than anger. Um, It made me feel jealous. Okay, give me a deeper one. It made me feel insecure about the way you kiss me being the same as kissing her. I'm not significant anymore because you're kissing her the same as me. 
and I need to feel like I'm significant more than any other girl in this room that I'm sharing you with. Okay, let's talk about that. What makes you feel that way? Like what, what are the key things that make you feel significant in our relationship? What are the things that I do that give you that significance? And so, and, and these are questions that I was never used to even number one being asked and number two, even having to think about and analyze within myself. And so it was beautiful because I feel like in the year and a half that we were together, I grew exponentially in who I was, what I was okay with, what I wasn't okay with, um, what I needed in a relationship and what I didn't need in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, what fulfilled me, what didn't fulfill me. Um, and, and to learn in a year and a half from zero to like extreme, it was fast. Um, and it was a lot to take in, but I value growth and learning. And one of the things that he always told me is he said, Anytime that you're in a situation that is uncomfortable, you are about to learn something either about yourself or someone else, but either way, you're going to have insight and growth from it no matter what, no matter what, Mm -hmm. because we naturally gear towards things that are pleasurable and we move away from things that are painful but things that are painful, we learn really fast from those experiences because they're painful. Yeah. You know, it's the same old cliche of a kid touches the hot stove. I was literally just going to say, I have a scar from when I was three. It's like my earliest memory. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So you touch the, the kid touches the stove and learns real quick. I'm not touching that damn stove again. Cause that fucking hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Versus, you know, someone that says, Oh, it feels good to learn my ABCs. Like, oh, mommy was proud of me because I said my ABCs. And you, it's not like you did it correctly the first time and from then on out you do it correctly from then on after. Sometimes you still stumble. It's just like walking. Oh, mommy was happy because I walked instead of crawled. But how many times do you try to walk and you still stumble a few times until you're older and you have it perfect, right? Mm. So um, you learn faster from pain. And uh, so I thought that that was very interesting and very insightful. And I was like, hmm, I'm really picking up what you're putting down. And so he said, so anytime that we get into an uncomfortable situation or you're uncomfortable, try your best. If you can handle it, try your best to see it all the way through and start taking notes of all the emotions that you're feeling so we can talk about all of those emotions once we get in the car and we're back home. Like so that way we can really analyze them. Try to make yourself insanely aware of what you're feeling and try to dig deeper because you know, the question I'm going to ask you is, okay, did it make you angry? Did it make you sad? Give me a deeper emotion. So try to already be prepared to tell me what those emotions are as you're witnessing it. Right. It was well, well, it all sounds great, but why didn't it work? Um, he passed away. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry to hear. Wow. Okay. Did you ever try another open relationship or no? Um, and being in an open relationship is very much has to be in agreement by both partners. Um, so I've never had a, a partner since him that wanted to be in that kind of open relationship. Right. Even I'm open to it. I would get into it again. Um, 
so I'm, I'm, it's not off the table for me to ever be in a relationship like that again, but um, just kind of how the cookie crumbled my next, you know, guys that I dated um, or girls that I dated that wasn't in the cards. That wasn't something that they thought they could handle. And I'm respectful of that. Like I can go either way, monogamous, open. I'm, I'm happy either way. Right. Well now how do you manage your monogamous relationships while being a porn star? Because it's it's technically kind of not monogamous. It is because, you know, porn is like acting, but, Mm -hmm. but then again, it's, I, you know, I, I, over the past, over the past month, I try to, you know, place myself in, as I prepare for this interview, I try to place myself in, in the shoes of that guy. Like, I don't know. I, I really don't know for sure. I don't, I, I feel like it would eventually eat me alive. And then I think of my friends that would tell me like, dude, don't you realize like, you know, what she's like, what she's doing at work and they, like, don't, you know, the, the peer pressure. And I think it'd be really, really hard for the guy and the girl. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it, it's difficult. It takes a lot of open communication and being very forthright in what your job is exactly what exactly you're doing on set um, and giving that person the opportunity um, to have an out. You know, um, I dated a guy that, you know, we dated for two months and I thought, oh, this is great. You know, it's all good, but I work in waves. So it's not like I'm doing scenes every week. Sometimes I'm going two months without shooting any scenes whatsoever. And then I'll fly out to Vegas or California or something and I'll shoot three scenes in a row or 10 scenes in a row and they're slowly released. Right. So, um, this particular, you know, wave was, I hadn't done any scenes in two months. So I was webcamming, I was um, feature dancing, headlining, but I wasn't actually having sex with anybody and filming. And the relationship was going great, you know? And I, you know, had talks with him. I told him, um, look, uh, I'm on set for hours at a time. I can't always text you. A lot of places won't even allow us to have our phone. Like they take our phones from us, um, which is a whole nother story. Um, and they give them back to us, but, um, they don't want anybody on their phones. Um, the microphones are so, um, sensitive. It can pick up even vibration, uh, even if it's all the way across the room, uh, it could be in another room. And if it's on a hard surface, the microphone might pick it up. And where, the guy, the heck, where the heck are the microphones? Uh, they're above. Well, they're kind of all over. They, they're like on sticks. And there's like, you know, the boom guy, he kind of like holds the microphone wherever he needs. And so it's kind of hovering over where the camera line is. So the, the consumer that's watching the porn can't see it, but it's kind of over the top. Yeah, I, I forget too that. Yeah. There's a whole set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, you know, there's, there, there's, all, you know, so I, so I go on set and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to answer. I can be able to answer on my way to work, but I work super long hours. I, I don't know how to tell you. It could be eight hours. It could be 14. Um, I can text you when I get, you know, offset. We're in different time zones. Um, could be already asleep, whatever. Um, and then I'm going to bed and I'm waking up ASAP and getting right back ready for set the next day to do it all over again. And so I tried to explain all of that. I explained the 
the, you know, professionalism of it, you know, how it works with guy and girl and scripts and, um, the testing and all of that stuff. And, um, and he testing? thought he could heal. Yeah. STD testing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. That's a whole separate question. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. So we're regulated by the government and things like that, that, you know, we have to get tested hmm. um, to make sure that we're safe. Right. And, um, so I thought we were good. He thought we were good. You know, this is his first rodeo, mind you. We've only been dating for two months, and this is the first week I've ever flown out where he knows in his head, logically, it's my job. This is for a paycheck, right? It's very objective. It's not subjective. It's very objective, right? Um, you lo he logically knew that. Um, but once I got there, first day is kind of cool. Get into the second day. I'm noticing a little something different in the text, but I'm like, oh, okay, we're, we're still good. Third day, I'm like, okay, this is getting uncomfortable for him. You know, and I'm trying to be validating. I'm trying to be open. I'm trying, I'm even sneaking away at this point, trying my best to like text him a little bit more than I'm supposed to be on my phone. Um, fourth day, um, I got a little bit more time. I was offset a little bit early. So I made sure I called him. I was on the phone with him. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to engage with him. And, uh, by the fifth day I did my scene and I flew home and, um, we didn't meet up that night. Mm. Um, he asked if we wanted to, um, but there was some kind of scheduling conflict. Like I thought that he would be able to meet up as soon as I landed and he wasn't, it was going to be later. And here I am tired coming in from a different time zone. So I'm like, okay, let's just reconclude on Saturday. And, um, by the time Saturday rolled around. So I, so I went home and I passed out. I went to bed. Like I'm trying to catch up on sleep. I wake up the next morning. I don't set an alarm or anything. I'm trying to sleep as much as I can to catch up on all the loss of sleep I've had for five days and working really hard. Um, and I got up and I didn't text him right away when I got up. I didn't say good morning or anything like that. I literally was like, I just want a bubble bath. My body is sore. It's physically challenging to do porn scenes five days in a row. It's exhausting. So, you know, my arms are sore. My legs are sore. You know, I'm just like, I, I, I need an Epsom salt bath, you know? <laughs> So I took a bath and I was just kind of decompressing. I didn't have my phone or anything. So mind you, um, now it's close to noon. And uh, my girlfriend Jojo had plans for us to go to farmer's market to get some fresh produce, you know, just grocery shopping. And so she sends me a text and says she's on her way. And about that time, I'm like, oh, you know, I let me text him. And I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? And it fell apart fell apart from there. And he broke up with me via text and, um, basically said that, um, there wasn't enough, um, engagement. He felt really left out. Um, and, uh, he needed, he needed more engagement from me than what he thought that I was either willing to give or could give. And it was too much for him. And so he said, I'm sorry, I have to call it. And I was like, call what? And he goes us. And I was like, wow. All right. Hmm. So that's something that can kind of happen, right? Like it was his first rodeo. That was that, you know, he, we both went into it with full open communication thinking he could handle it, but then it's different once it's actually happening. 
you know, once you're, everybody thinks you're your best self and they think they can handle it until it's actually happening. Think I'm thankful that he knew himself well enough and was honest with himself um, enough to, to call it right then. Like, I can't handle this. This was too much because most people keep putting themselves in that same situation and trying to swallow it and keep forcing themselves to try to accept it because they battle with the logic versus the emotion of the situation. And that builds resentment. And before you know it, you start really disliking me as a person because you're constantly being put in a situation that you can't handle, but you're trying to convince yourself that you can. Mm -hmm. So relationships are a challenge for you. Very, very, very challenging. Have you been in many? I haven't. I've only been in five relationships my whole life. Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were all long-term and, but a lot of space in between lots and lots of like, space in between. So most of the time I'm single. Um, I do a lot of dating. It takes a long time for me to call somebody my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Um, you know, the last guy I dated, we, we talked on messenger for three months before I even went on my first date with him. And he saw me face to face for the first time. Mm. It wasn't until our second date that we even pecked on the lips. Our third date was, you know, when we had like a finally had a makeout session, but that was three days. So even when he met me for the first time, our third date. So let's see, it was like six weeks. So he was only getting one date every two weeks with me. Right. So, I mean, like the, I think the connotation with, you know, Rachel Starr, like, like, you know, guys would be like, Oh, like she's DTF. Like she's, <laughs> she, she, she like, she did it on the first date, you know, but that's not the case. Mm -mm. No, because even after we did finally have like a makeout section, section, I would a say sec that. session, <laughs> um, a makeout session. Um, from that point we proceeded to quote unquote date, not boyfriend, girlfriend, official date for six solid months after that until finally. Hold on, is there a difference between dating and boyfriend, girlfriend? There's so many, there's like, nowadays there's talking, there's dating, there's, then there's the, there's the official, the labels, and then some people are like, oh, I don't want the label, but we're dating. And it's like, it doesn't, I don't know. What do you think? I think so. I think there's a difference between dating. Uh, I think there's a difference between talking, dating, and being in a relationship. So talking would be that three months section where he hasn't even taken me on a first date yet. We're just talking. Then there's, okay, we went on our first date. Now we're dating. And then that goes on for six months. And then once we decide to make it official is like, okay, now it's time to start introducing, um, so like in the dating phase, it's like you're around friends, you know, like you go out with friends and stuff like that and your friends know who he is, but you know, maybe mom and dad and brother and sister know you're dating somebody, but they haven't met them. So for me, it's kind of like, I will date you for a very, very, very long time. And then until we have that talk that look, um, our goals match up, our chemistry match, matches up, our values, morals, all of that stuff. We think this is a good fit. 
and we want to take this to the next level and start incorporating meeting family. And for me, once you're to the point that you're incorporating meeting family, um, your boyfriend, girlfriend. Right. I, I really think it's, you know, I, I, you know, I like that logic, but I really think it's subjective to everyone. And I think people mm-hmm. run into problems and confusion and frustration. And I run into problems and confusion and frustration when both people, or if we're in an open relationship, three or four of the people don't really know the agreed upon uh, metrics, if you will, the, the agreed upon like, like, uh, you know, standards that define these different stages. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people, and then, and then it results in what people call, Oh, she's playing games. Oh, he's playing games. You know what I mean? But really it's just that the expectations are misaligned and not even talked about. Do mm-hmm. you agree with that? I do agree with that. Um, and that is the biggest thing that I have talks with my girlfriends about when they're in relationships and a lot of my guy friends about because people don't want to have the conversation. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. Um, it's vulnerable. It's scary um, to put it all out there. But, um, you know, the guy that I was dating when we went through that, uh, we were just really honest with each other. I in a sense, it's like to even date me, period, there's going to be some really significant, difficult conversations being had extremely early, <laughs> you know, um, way earlier than most. So in a sense, I think that's a blessing for me there because it's kind of like I've got, I've got to weed out pretty quick who can't handle this because I'm not quitting my profession, right? Like... I made it this far. I love my job. I love the freedom. Um, and I don't think anybody should ever expect me to quit my job. I did this before I met you and I wouldn't ask you to quit your job. If you worked at a bank and said, you know what? I don't, I don't agree with you being a bank teller and I'm going to need you to quit your job and find a whole new profession. I don't care. I don't care. Well, well, it's different. They're not having sex at the bank. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like for me, it's not fair to ask anybody to quit their job, to sure, quit their okay. career, to quit their profession. Okay. You know, it's just not fair. You know, it's, it's, I don't care if you work at In-N-Out Burger and I'm vegan, so I don't want you working at a burger place. <laughs> so you need to go work at the salad shop down the street. Um, excuse me? No, that's not how this works. Yeah. Side note, it's funny. The amount of vegans that have leather purses, I think that's uh, I think that's a little hypocritical and comical. I don't know. That's just what I thought of just now. But <laughs> hey, uh, Jordan. Yeah. There's something on my computer. Oh. Right, right here. It's <laughs> happening. Don't oh, do this to me. Oh, I'm doing it. <gasps> I have the jewel. <laughs> no, don't do it, man. Uh, we, I, I tell you, I tell you, it is, it's, it's, it's a bizarre concept to me. Why do you do the jewel? <laughs> so for the audio listeners that don't know what's happening right now, um, <laughs> I warned Jordan that I would be smoking my jewel while we're doing the vlog podcast. And he's like, no, don't do it. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm gonna. <laughs> uh. And um, so this was that moment that I first like 
pulled my Joel individual concept so I could take a puff of my um, e-cigarette. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. She, um, you told me it was going to happen. I didn't. I didn't think you'd remember, and I don't even. I didn't even remember. Yeah, silly stuff. Silly stuff. So, Rachel, we got we got backtrack a little bit. Why porn? Why the heck did you get in the, into porn? Let's start with your with your upbringing. Okay. And yeah. Sort of, sort of go along go along the timeline here. You know, we know we know exotic dancer. You know, we, you started t- telling us about that. But of all the things that you could be, <laughs> Rachel Stark could be Rachel Stark could be an astronaut. She could be uh, I don't know. She could be she could be a construction worker too. She could be uh, she could, I don't know. You you could be working in an office. Um, you could be anything. Why porn? <sighs> That's such a great question. Um, I think it would be easier to give you the progression of like my childhood into going into adulthood and my first experiences with work and then how it led in. And that might be the easiest way to understand it, which is very interesting because I'm not sure I've ever publicly like really talked about like that timeline, but we'll well, give it a go. What did you want to be when you grew up first? I don't remember. Like when I try to think back, I, I think I just wanted to be, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. And I think as a little girl, I'm talking like five, six years old, I, it was just, that was what was normal to me. Like mom didn't work. So I'm not sure I ever thought of having a job when I was a little girl. It was just, I'm going to get married one day. Hey, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I ever really was like, oh, I'm going to be this, you know? Um, but as a child, so I had a stay-at-home mom. My dad went to work, and um, I had my older brother. And I was definitely the golden child. I was the apple of my dad's eye, the apple of my mom's eye. I was the one that didn't give him any trouble. I obeyed the rules. I was super affectionate and loving, and I was always, you know, trying to clean up the house so mom didn't have to do things. I was helping her cook. My dad, you know, he worked on cars and motorcycles and stuff when he'd come home from work, and I'd be in the garage, like, cleaning his tools and polishing them so they're super shiny and handing him bolts and screws and stuff. Um, so I was like a helper, right? And, um, very, very, very close with both of my parents, even to this day. Um, hands down, just, I have the most amazing parents ever. Um, well, both of my parents were raised in very religious environments and I'm talking very religious. Um, my mom was raised in an environment that was non-denominational, but very cultish. I would have to say probably a cross between like Jehovah Witness and Southern Baptist. And my dad was raised very kind of Pentecostal-ish. Um, and I think that when they were kids, they didn't know any better and they, you know, follow suit or whatnot. But when they started to get older, maybe they were starting to question some of the things that they were being taught. Um, they were questioning some of the rules that they were having to abide by. And although they still followed along with suits, you know, but they still questioned them and then they got together and they, um, my dad conformed over to my mom's side into this very cultish type, Mm. non-denominational thing. And that's how I was raised as a kid in the beginning stages of their marriage 
Um, and so I grew up going to church and doing that whole thing. Although we didn't call it church, we called it meetings, which is a whole nother story. Mm. um, (laughs) Anyway, so I grew up in this very solid white picket fence family, you know, go to church every week. Dad goes to work. Mom's a stay at home mom. You know, we have the kids preschool, like kindergarten, the whole thing. Um, and just very, very normal. And, um, the older I got, um, my parents were not seeing eye to eye on things. They eventually got a divorce when I was nine. And when they got a divorce at nine, my, uh, routine fell apart as a kid. And then my eyes opened up and I was like, holy crap. Like what in the world is going on? I'm living two lives with two different parents. So what happened was my parents divorced and my dad said, I don't want anything to do with that, um, church or meetings or denomination or whatever. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm done. And he went his own path. Now, my dad is still spiritual. He still believes in a higher power, but he is not down with the whole church thing. You know, he just does his own thing. And my mom kind of quit going as much, but still kind of went. And that was interesting for me because the rules changed. The rules changed in a sense of, okay, I go to dad's and now we don't ever talk about all of these rules that I had to abide by before. Um, and when I talk about rules, like when I was a kid in this church with my mom, um, we weren't supposed to have a TV. We weren't supposed to have radios in the car. We weren't allowed to wear red lipstick. We weren't allowed to paint our fingernails. We had to wear dresses below our knees and we weren't supposed to cut our hair and we were supposed to be very submissive to the male and we were, weren't really supposed to have much of a voice <laughs> as a girl. And, um, and that was my normal, normalcy, right? That's the only thing I ever knew. And then all of a sudden my parents get divorced. My mom has to get a job. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like even when my parents were married, they didn't follow all the rules. Like we had a TV that we hid you know, if church people came over, like I did experience having a TV, you know, we did have radios in the car. Like it was just certain things that were like, we're just not going to tell anybody that we're not doing this, you know? And, um, but now they were divorced and we could do anything we wanted. I could watch any TV show I wanted, any movie I wanted. I could wear makeup. I could, you know, do anything I wanted, you know? And it, and it was like, Ooh, this is cool. (laughs) wow, I get to be normal, quote unquote, like everybody else. Because when you're raised in a very cult environment and you're subjected to all these roles, you become the different kid in school and you get picked on and people notice that you're different and that you don't wear the same kind of clothes and abide by the same kind of rules that they do. You can't watch the same TV shows. You can't play the same sports. There are certain things that were taught in school um, like the Big Bang Theory, and I have to sit in the hallway. I don't get to learn about it. Mm, wow. You know, things like that. Um, and so now all of a sudden I became one of the normal kids. And I was like, oh, my God, freedom. And so then I started questioning everything that I was once taught. And thankfully, I had parents that were just really, really phenomenal. So if I was confused or if I had questions as to why things were different, they would sit down and talk to me about it. And, um, my dad took on this viewpoint of very much like, don't let anybody 
control you. Like experience the world for everything that it has. Um, like be safe, but go explore, find your own way, find what your own beliefs are. And my mom was a little bit less forthcoming than my dad on that, but eventually she started to come around to that too. Cause she start she had to get out in the real world. She was working a job and she was experiencing life and responsibilities that she never had to experience because she wasn't being taken care of by my dad. And uh wow. It was like then both parents start dating somebody else. And kids are sneaky. Oh, we're so sneaky. Um you're supposed to wait until you're married to have sex. Well, me and my brother are realizing, well, neither one of our parents are waiting to have sex until they're married. They are just hooking it up, you know? Like, we knew what was going on. We weren't stupid. And so that made me question that. Um, and then, so I'm nine, so this goes on for a few years, and now it's time for me to be in middle school. And this girl, um, was my friend and she stayed the night with me and a lot. And one night she asked me if I had ever kissed anybody. And I said, no. And she was like, well, don't you think you should like, you know, that you should try it. So, cause like, what if you're really bad your first time that you kiss a guy? And I was like, well, first of all, I'm not really even thinking about kissing guys, but you do have a valid point. So now I'm thinking about it. And she was like, well, maybe we should practice kissing together. And uh -huh. I'm like, okay. So we kiss and I'm like, Ooh, like that was soft and kind of nice. And so she's like, you want to do it again? And I'm like, yeah. So now all of a sudden I'm 13 and I'm kissing this girl and Fast forward, that ends up over many numerous times of her coming over after that. Then we're taking showers together. And the next thing I know, we are practicing oral on each other. So we know what it would feel like when a guy did it to us. And we, you know, it just like really progressed pretty fast. At, at what age? 13. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, so next thing I knew, I was starting to develop feelings for this girl and I didn't know what love was. I'd never been in love, but I, she was my best friend and I was doing things sexually with her that I'd never done with anybody else. And um, so, so uh, she ends up finding her mom's toys and um, bringing them over for us to play with. So we would know what it felt like the first time a guy had sex with us because it was a dildo. And it, this is what a guy looks like. And so maybe we should try to see what this feels like so we know what it's like the first time we're with a guy. And um, so we did that. And of course, pop my cherry and that whole thing. And shortly thereafter, her brother found out and threatened to tell mommy and daddy. And she freaked out and was like, I can never talk to you again. Mm. Never. Like we can't be friends anymore. Like we go to the same school and I'm going to ignore you. And we sit on the same bus and we can't sit next to each other anymore. Like we literally can't have anything to do with each other or he's going to tell. And I was heartbroken. I was like devastated. I was like, Oh my God. Like finally I felt heartbreak. Right. Cause I'd shared all these really intimate moments with her innocently not knowing how attached I was getting to her. 
And um, so now I'm 14 years old and I'm like, okay, I'm not supposed to be with a girl. All of this was to be with a guy. Well, I might as well experience what it's like with a guy. And uh, so of course I picked the baddest boy out there. You know, he was the rebel. He's the one that got in trouble. He was always getting suspended. He smoked marijuana and like, you know, I mean, cute. All the girls wanted the bad boy. Right. And I was like, mm, he's going to be mine. That's the one I'm going for. And I did nailed it. <laughs> and quite literally. And, um, there wasn't a lot of emotion behind it. Like he was cute and I had a crush on him, but I basically told him one day on the bus, I said, what, what time does your mom leave for work? And he said, well, she leaves about 7am. Why? And I said, okay, I'm going to be at your house at 705. Make sure you're awake. And he was like, okay. So I knocked on the door, 705. I literally watched her car pull out of the driveway. Um, I was hiding in some bushes and uh, knocked on his door and came in and he was like, so what exactly are we doing at seven in the morning? Like, what are we, what are we doing? Cause I'm tired. And I was like, why don't you take me to your bedroom and we can, you know, like play some video games or something. And he was like, okay. And I had it all planned out in my head. In my mind, I was like, I technically, this is me losing my virginity. I didn't look at it back then as losing my virginity to the girl. And I was like, okay, we'll let's sit down in this chair. This is the chair that you play Nintendo on. And um, he's like, well, what game do you want to play? And I literally just took my top and I pulled it off. And he was like, what in the world are you doing? And I climbed on top of him like I knew what I was doing and straddled him and I started making out with him. And of course he's making out with me back, but he is like so shocked. He's like, what is happening? You know? And, uh, and I just whispered to him, I was like, do you have a lock on your door? And he just looked at me and all of a sudden it just came to him. Like I was going to have sex with him and that's where this was going. And he goes, no, but my sister does. And I'm like, so you want to go to your sister's room and lock the door with me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, 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 we can do that. <laughs> and so we did. And, um, we went in there and we, you know, had sex and, uh, I went and sat with him on the couch afterward. The whole thing lasted like maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes and, um, went on the couch. I stopped him by the way, like we were halfway through it. So it, it lasted pretty short cause I stopped him. I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this mm. and, um, I've experienced it. We're good, you know? And, um, we went and lay down on the couch for a little bit, watched TV and maybe, maybe I laid down with him tops 15 minutes and I was like, okay, gotta go. <laughs> uh, see you later. And I left and that was that. And, um, that's a transaction, not a relationship. Exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't. And, um, and we weren't really in a relationship together. And so he went and did his own thing with other girls. And I went on down the line and did my thing with other guys. And, um, later on down the road that year, um, he did end up, um, coming to me and saying, you know, are you over, you know, being with so-and-so because I'm just wanting to know, like, you know, are we ever going to be a thing? And I was like, Oh, I didn't know you wanted that. And he was like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, I guess so. And he was like, you guess so. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We can be boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> and that was all that happened. And I was in a relationship with him for five and a half years. And, and Wow. From age what to what? Uh, 14 to 19. Okay. So, so he even stuck with me through the stripping when I first started stripping when I was 18. 
So fast forward, um, dad finds out that I lose my virginity and flips a freaking lid. Um, I mean, just, he was devastated. And plus, I mean, you got to think I was 14, right? I mean, dad is like, he's raging, like wants to kill this guy. And then he's devastated that his apple of his eye, baby girl, angel that doesn't break any rules has lost her virginity. Right. So, um, it was a little bit hard. I ran away from home and I worked at Slotchkey's, which is a deli shop. That was my very first job. Slotchkey's. And yeah. And, um, I moved in with, um, my friend's mom and like the deal was that I had to pay the water bill and I had to pay for all my own groceries. And at this point I'm 16 and, or no, I'm 15, 15 or 16, something like that. And I've run away from home and I lived with my girlfriend. And so here I am in high school and I'm having to pay a water bill that I'm responsible for um, and my own groceries and I'm having to feed myself, clothe myself, buy my own school clothes, all of that. And I called my mom and was like, mom, uh, I'm scared to death that mm. if I keep going this route, I'm not going to graduate high school. So I started experimenting with drugs like marijuana and, you know, I was taking shrooms and I was just really rebelling at this point, you know, like I was skipping school um, and I wasn't the straight A student anymore. And I was scared I wasn't going to graduate. And I called my mom and I said, you need to find me a self-paced school or I'm not going to graduate. And so she did. And I went to a self-paced school, graduated in five months started my very first real job, got my own apartment with my boyfriend at the time. Uh, and I worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, as a data entry and Experian credit union, yeah. uh, taking disputes on people's credit report. And I worked at a car wash as a service advisor that sold details. So I had three jobs at 16 years old yeah, and so living in my own apartment. So I grew up really fast, needless to say. Well, yeah. my boyfriend um, had uh, gotten into some drug problems and couldn't put methamphetamine down. Mm. And he ended up going to jail numerous times and I just couldn't have it. He was cheating on me also all the time. I was devastated and heartbroken. Like, I mean, he cheated on me left and right all the time. And, um, and so I became really cold to it. You know, it's just kind of like it, it broke my heart, but I couldn't leave him. And the last girl that he cheated on me with, I called her and uh, he had been cheating me on me with her for nine months. And uh, I just called her and I said, um, I'm tired of this. Like you can have him, but I offer you a solution um, because he keeps going back and forth between us two, why don't we set him up red-handed to catch him? Because neither one of us have ever caught him red-handed. And so she was like, fuck yes, <laughs> you know? And so we came up with this whole plan, and I won't tell you what it was, because it's too elaborate, but, <laughs> um, but we did catch him red, red-handed oh. in the act. And, um, and we became best friends, and I lived with him, in that apartment. So I break up with him. I oh, move really? in with her, the girl he had been cheating on me with. I move in with her and then her and I get into a relationship. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. that's how the table's turning. 
Table turned. I wonder how he felt. Oh my God, you have no idea. I'm sure I screwed that man up to no end. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was working a, a lot of jobs and her, and you know, I had to pay rent. Like, so she lived with her mom. And so I moved in with her mom and her and her mom was like, you have to pay half of everything. Like, that's what this is. And I'm like, crap, you live in a house, not mm -hmm. a, an apartment. Like this is way more expensive. <laughs> and, um, so I was struggling and I called my dad one day and I told him, I said, dad, I'm working three jobs. I'm paying rent. Like all I want to do is go to college and I don't know how I'm ever going to find the time. And my dad was very much like, you know, don't ask for help. Like if you want something bad enough, like you'll figure it out, but I'm not handing anything to you and I'm not paying for anything. And he was, he was very, very strict in that. Like you don't get anything in life for free. You work for what you get. So if you want it bad enough, you will find a way. And I was like, dad, I'm not asking you for money. Like I, I'm genuinely just need advice. Like I literally don't know what to do. I don't know how to make time for college. And he jokingly, so my dad, one thing about my dad is he is a huge prankster, like always joking. You can never take anything he says seriously. He's hilarious. Um, and he jokingly said, and I knew he was joking. He jokingly said, he goes, well, he goes, you love music. And he goes, you could always dance at, at a, a cabaret. And I'm like, I didn't even know what a cabaret was. I was. I was like, what's a cabaret? And he was like a strip club. I'm joking. And I was like, oh my God, dad. And he was like, look, he was like, you're going to figure it out. And he was like, you know, you're, you're just not going to figure it out with three jobs. So maybe you need to change your living situation and give me some little pointers and things to think about. I get off the phone and my girlfriend is sitting right next to me and she goes, what did he say to you that was like so crazy? And I was like, he told me to work at, like he was joking, but told, said I could always work at a cabaret. And then she goes, what's that? And I'm like, he said it's a strip club. And she was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I was like, who are you? And what are you talking about? And she was like, that's brilliant. She was like, you know how much money those girls make? And she was like, we can make that kind of money. She's like, we could move out on our own and we wouldn't have to live with my mom. And I'm like, hmm, I like the sound of that. And so literally that night we went to a strip club and said that we wanted a job as waitresses. And uh, the first club turned us down, believe it or not, because we didn't have any experience, sent us down the road to a, a second club and they hired us on the spot. And, um, so we went and got our outfits and everything and came back to work the next day. And I was a waitress for like two hours and I made like a couple dollars and I was like, this is horrible. I hate this. This is like not my idea of like rolling in the dough. Meanwhile, I'm looking at all these strippers on stage going filled with ones, right? Like, you know, there's like seven different stages that they go from and they'd get off the stage and like, so think seven songs. And they'd have damn near a hundred dollars in ones. And I'm like, mm, okay, seven times four is 28 minutes. In 28 minutes, you're making a hundred dollars. I want that. So I went up to the girl that had the most money on stage. Her name was Rain. And I made a proposition with her. And I said, 
this is all the money that I've made tonight working two hours as a waitress. And I will give it all to you if you will give me an outfit to wear and show me how to do what you do on stage. And not only will I give you what I have in my hand right now for giving me clothes to wear and shoes to wear, I will give you half of all of my earnings for the entire night. Well, let me tell you, she jumped on it really quick. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, no problem. And so she took me to the back, dressed me up, introduced me to the DJ, gave me some few pointers of how to dance on stage and how to talk to the guys. And I was off, I was on stage. And it was really cool because she, everybody knew that it was my very first time getting on stage. I was really nervous. Um, she had gone and told all the other strippers that it was my first time and all of them got ones out and all came and tipped me on stage at the same time. Uh, that's so, that's so nice. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah. But sidestep, I called my dad before I went on stage and I said, dad, I need to tell you something. And he was like, Oh God, what? <laughs> Cause it's late at night. Right. But only bad things happen when your daughter calls you that late at night. And um, I'm like, well, you know how we had that one conversation where you said I could always work at an adult cabaret. And he was like, what are you about to tell me? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm kind of working at one right now. And this is my first night. And I tried to be a waitress. I was a waitress. I've only been a waitress so far. And I said, but I have made the decision to get on stage and dance as a stripper. And I just want to call and let you know that I've made that decision and here I am. And I really hope you're not mad at me. And he was like, well, that's really not where I thought that conversation was going. And that's not what I intended for you to go do. <laughs> but um, it seems like you've already made your decision and you're already there. And I appreciate you calling me. And he goes, but I want you to make me one promise. And I said, okay. And he said, make me the promise that you will never ever drink or do drugs to dance on that stage. Because if you cannot get up there stone cold sto sober, stone cold sober, you do not need to be up there. And I was like, okay, I promise. And, uh, and I stuck to that the whole time I stuck to it the whole five and a half years. I never, ever, um, drank or got involved in any kind of drugs or anything to be able to go into work and do my job ever. And um, so fast forward, now you want to know the big porn star question. Here we are. So I'm dancing at a club five and a half years down the road. I'm making money. I'm in college, I'm taking my basics. I have my own apartment, my own car, no debt. I'm living life. I've got bills figured out. I know exactly what I'm doing with myself. And it is Christmas Eve, 2006. And a guy comes into the club and Shreveport, Louisiana at the Deja Vu Hustler Club and sees me on stage and says, yells it, goes, that girl's ass is going to make money in porn. <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm looking at him like, who's this idiot? Maybe somebody should kick him out. And um, but I just figured he was drunk and I went on doing my own thing and he kept following me around to all the stages tipping me. And, um, then afterwards, you know, he kept, he kept talking. He's like, I gotta talk to you. I gotta talk to you. And I was just like, 
oh my god can you like leave me alone you're freaking me out yeah right, right um one he was super young and all strippers know that you don't make money on young guys you make money on older guys because they're the ones that are established and have all the money um so you don't waste your time with young guys and so he is young and i'm like this kid has no money like get away from me like i got a job to do you know and he wouldn't leave me alone. And finally, I just looked at him and I said, look, it's $20 a song to talk to me, whether I'm giving you a dance or not. He pulls out a $100 bill and he goes, I'm ready. And I'm like, okay. So take him to the strip club area, to the, where we do the dances in the strip club. And uh, he talked so fast, <laughs> trying to get it out in, all, all out in five songs and basically telling me how he was a porn director. He was porn talent. He lived in California. And then I was the perfect look for the perfect movie that was just going to have all kinds of awards. And he just thought that it was going to be amazing. And... Um, that he would fly me out there and I would stay in a multi-million dollar house and I would have a driver that would drive me wherever I needed to go. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Cause you hear everything in a strip club, right? Like guys tell you anything and you don't believe shit that any of them say. You're like, yeah, whatever. Right. So you're, and, you're on, you're on autopilot. Yeah. And so the five songs is up and I am counting the seconds for this to end, you know? And, uh, and I go, okay, well, would you like to pay me another um, $20 a song? And he was like, you don't have anything to say about what I just explained to you? And I go, not unless you have more money. And he was like, nothing at all. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take that as a no. And I'm going to go out here and make money. I was like, have a nice night. And I left. <laughs> and um, I went to go hustle more money. And uh, anyways, he ends up talking to a friend, um, co-worker of mine, and she thought he was gorgeous and that I was crazy for not talking to him. And I had this rule that I didn't leave with customers and all of this. Well, anyway, she ends up talking me into go to, going to breakfast. She was like, we'll meet him at IHOP and just hear what he has to say. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so we did. And he proves that everything he was saying was true, like prove, prove, like he had DVDs, he had business cards. He had, he was like legitimately like, I'm like, holy crap, this guy really is a director. Like he really is a porn star. Like, Oh my God, that's nuts. Still not thinking I'm going, but I'm like, wow, this is kind of a cool conversation. We finish, um, breakfast and I'm like, okay, bye. And I leave. And of course I have this business card and my girlfriend's like, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, your boyfriend died. Okay. You have not dated anybody in a year, not one person. Like all you do is work and go to school, work and go to school. Like you literally have no life. And she was like, you haven't had sex in a year. And she was like, and this guy wants to have sex with you. And she was like, and how many opportunities do you think that you're going to get to have sex with a professional? And I was like, oh, well, I really didn't think about it that way. But that's a very valid point. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to knock out the cobwebs, well, I might as well do it with some professional guy that's really going to lay it down. And so I called him back and I said, Hey, meet me at the apartment. I want to have sex with you. And of course, so he came over and, uh, we proceeded to have sex for like four hours. 
straight. Oh, shit. And it was the best sex I had ever had in my entire life at that point. I was like, oh my God. And he was taking pictures of me and taking video of me and we're laughing and he calls his agent and he puts me on the phone with his agent. And it's all just like this fun and game. And I'm like, ha 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 ha. And um, then the agent gets the pictures and he's like, I do not care what you have to tell her to get her to California, but she needs to get to California. Like there, there is so much money to be made with this girl. And I'm hearing him say this, like I can hear it like on the phone, like on his cell phone, like here I'm saying that. And I'm like, what is, what is going on? Like me, me, like what do I have to offer? And, um, and I said, well, look, I said, I'll think about it, but you know, I just saved up enough money to pay for my boob job and that happens in two weeks. And you know, I want to get that done first and you know, like, let me just think about things and I'll call you. And he was like, cool. Every single day he was hitting me up, checking in with me. How'd the boob job go? Like, are you healed yet? Like, when can I buy that flight? And finally I, um, I just told my mom and dad, I said, look, uh, I'm thinking about flying to California to do porn. And, um, that, that's the deal. When my boobs get healed up, I'm, I'm going to go out to California. And so one part of me was running away from my problems of dealing with the death of my boyfriend that I still wasn't over. And, um, he died in a motorcycle wreck by the way. And so that's how that ended. That was the swinger boyfriend. Right. And, uh, he died in a motorcycle wreck and I was still mourning that wasn't fully over it. I was consumed with memories of him in Dallas. Right. And I was in college, but I was like, I'm only in my first semester. I can go there. If it doesn't work out, I can always come right back and start doing what I was doing. And I just wanted to change the scenery. And I just felt like taking a leap and trying something new. And so I did. I called him and he bought my flight and I did my first scene on February 4th, 2007. And I loved it. I fell in love with the camera. I fell in love with the atmosphere and the people and the freedom and the sexual expression and the adventure. And, um, and it was like this whole new world. I felt like a movie star and, and I loved it. And I stayed for two months before I even came back home. And when I came back home, it was only to come back home long enough to gather even more stuff to fly right back and continue filming. And then I eventually moved out there and uh, the rest is history. Here I am. Here you are. What did your parents think at the time when you told them? And what does your whole family think now? Um, so my dad and my mom were more concerned about my safety than anything. They were more worried like, like from an STD safety standpoint and like making sure I wasn't ending up in some back warehouse kind of thing. And I remember my dad saying, look, you know, make your decisions, spread your wings, go. If you think this is right for you, then, you know, I love you. I, I wish you were choosing something different, but I don't want, he didn't want to hold me back. You know, he had always raised me, spread your wings and don't let anybody hold you back. Like go figure it out. But he said, if anything happens, if anything is wrong, you call me and I will put it on my credit card. I will get you home immediately. Like I'll do whatever I need to do and I will get you back home. I was like, okay. And mom was just very kind of like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like of all the things, I can't believe you're doing this. Um, but I love you. I'm always going to love you no matter what decision you make. I wish you were doing something else, but 
you know, I, I, you're a grown woman. I can't control what you're going to do, but please check in with me and let me know that you're safe as many times as you can. And, um, and you also have to understand they were already used to me being an exotic dancer for five and a half years. So like I was already kind of an against the grain girl. Like it wasn't like I was like this innocent 18 year old teeny bobber coming out of high school, getting into porn. It was like, I kind of lived this sex industry life for five and a half years. And my parents knew I was incredibly responsible. So I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't a druggie. I never asked them for money. Um, if anything, I helped them out financially with things at times. And, um, and I had a beautiful apartment and a beautiful car and I saved my money. Like all I did was I just stacked and stacked and stacked and saved and saved and saved. And so my parents were very proud of me as an exotic dancer they were like, you know, obviously they would have loved me to have any other job, but if your daughter's going to do the job, at least she's doing it in a business minded right way to do it, you know, and that was the way they saw it. And I think it was a little bit easier for them to swallow the fact that I was getting into porn because I had already shown them for five and a half years how responsible I was already. Um, definitely it was scary because I was going to another state you know, um, but I called him and I was like, it was fine. I lucked out to be honest. Cause I didn't end up in any back warehouse. I didn't end up in any really shady situations, which a lot of girls do. Um, I didn't like, I was very fortunate with the guy that got me in. He put me with the number one agent in the entire industry. Um, he had me working with the top companies in the entire industries right out the gate. So mm. I was really lucky. Mm. Well, I mean, other than that, I, you know, I think, I think it's pretty incredible with you know, the, the, the following that you have amassed. I mean, you're, I mean, you're the, you're at the top, you're at the top and there's, there's a lot of good looking people in the industry. How do, how do you separate yourself? That's a good question. Um, well, I'm known for my butt. So I have a really yeah. tiny waist. I'm like, you know, 34, 26, 36, okay, are my dimensions. Um, so I have this really tiny waist, but I naturally have this bubble butt. Like if you put me and my mom's body types together, like it's just, it's in the genes, okay? <laughs> like I take after my mom's side of the family with my body type and I'm really fortunate. Although I didn't get her tits and that really sucks because my mom has these natural ones that are amazing and I was just flat chested. I had like mosquito bites for tits. Mosquito bites, <laughs> I've not heard that before. <laughs> but I know what you mean, oh my God. Oh my God, my brother and my dad used to tease me all the time. So my dad would always say, do you want a brownie pin or a chest to pin it on? <laughs> and my brother would always call me ant hills or mosquito bites. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love family, don't you? Yeah. Anyway, um, so, what was I saying? Um, we were talking about um, how you separated yourself. Oh yeah, how I separated myself. So I have this, I have this bubble butt, and um, and so being that I'm really tiny and hardly have any body fat on me, but I have this big round bubble butt, it kind of set me apart naturally. Um, and it was before butts were really the big craze. It was just literally right before butts were becoming a craze. When, when did it become officially become the craze? <laughs> I didn't, I did not realize. 
<laughs> I would personally say that industry-wise, I think that bubble butts really became a big thing probably Probably 2009, 2010 was when it was really starting to take hold as a, as a full blown, like popular fetish that was marketed, highly marketed. Right. I, th I think, I think what's interesting, I mean, there's a difference between that and diaper, butt. like there's, you see like the, what are the Kardashians doing? You know, like, and, and girls are trying to like imitate that. I, 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 you know, I actually heard on, actually, I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast that I think. 34 people died last year from those like injections. I swear to God, like people are dying because of that. You know, it's crazy. I know that. And by the way, I've never heard the term diaper butt. And that is the most comical thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, I got it. You, you can thank your friend Joe for that. I, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I set myself apart in that. And uh, my very first scene, like I said, was on February 4th, 2007. It was for Naughty America and it was called My Sister's Hot Friend. It was with the male talent Jack Venice and the director was Brando. So I remember it like it was yesterday. It was actually filmed in one of Michael Jackson's old houses <laughs> where he did recordings and stuff. It still had the original like switchboard in it. It was really fascinating. And, um, uh, I did my scene, right? I did the photo shoot. I did my makeup. I did all of that stuff. And the, 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 there was one defining moment, Jordan, where I knew that I had made the right decision. And it was that very first scene. Um, so I completed the photo shoot and the scene had just started. I said my lines, he said his lines, and now it was going in for a BJ. And the camera was maybe 10 feet away from us. And you have to act like the camera's not there. It's kind of like a fly on the wall. And so I'm, I'm giving Jack a BJ and the camera's starting to come in closer and you're not supposed to look at the camera or acknowledge the camera, but the camera's coming in really close. So it's like 10 feet, five feet, three feet. And now this camera is like maybe a foot and a half from my face. And I'm giving this BJ having to act like it's not there. And this thought came into my head and I said, oh my God, like, what if hundreds of people see this and I look like an idiot because I'm not giving an amazing blowjob? Like I better bring it like, or, or I'm going to be made a fool out of. And it's, it's so funny to think, you know, back then I, I was, I, I, it just goes to show, like I really had no idea that I would be a big star because in my head then I'm just thinking hundreds of people, maybe we're going to see it. Um, I never thought in a million years that my scenes would be viewed millions upon millions of times. Um, and in that moment, I was just like, I better fucking bring my A game so strong. And so I started giving him a BJ like I had never given somebody a BJ before in my life. I mean, I went full wild mode. And same thing with my sex positions and everything. I just, a, a switch flipped in me and I became, just like I was an entertainer on stage for five and a half years, I turned that entertainment mindset into, but now it's sex and I have got to entertain. I'm fulfilling fantasies here for people. This is entertainment. People are going to be watching this. And uh, after the scene, I remember Brando cut the camera and he looked at me and he was like, 
are you sure that you have never been filmed before? You've never done a photo shoot ever? And I was like, no. And he looked me dead in my eye and he goes, not to be cliche, but you are going to be a star in this industry, hands down, if that's the very first performance you've ever done. And I just looked at him and I was like, thanks, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the whole way home, I was just elated. I was like, oh my God, like he thinks I'm going to be a star. Like he thinks I'm going to be a big name. Like, wow. And in my head, I just thought, Every scene I do from here on out, I have to outdo the last one I did. I've just got to keep bringing it and bringing it and bringing it and just, just wow my audience of whoever's viewing these videos. And I've got to wow the directors because then word will spread like wildfire. Like, Hey, you got to hire this Rachel star girl. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I did like a hundred scenes my first year. Yeah. That's really interesting. You're, I mean, the X factor there is, sounds like you're in it to win it. You're hundred percent there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So Rachel, now you, there, there's a, a couple more things. Now you showed me the other week when we were, uh, you know, cause we've been, we've been talking a lot in, over, over Skype, Zoom, whatever, what have you, FaceTime. And you showed me, you know, one of your books and <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the amount of, sticky notes probably like hundreds of sticky notes in like a 500 page book um probably like one on almost every page uh, like you're you're a serious learner a serious student of life i really admire that about you mm -hmm. um why what, what role does learning play in your life so that started as when I was a stripper, actually. So there was a customer that came into the strip club and saw me on stage and I was being punished um, by the club because when you work a Friday or Saturday, you have to work a Monday or a Sunday or a Monday because those are the slow days. So if you want to work the busy nights, you got to work one of the slow nights. And I had skipped out for two weeks in a row. So not only was I having to work a Sunday or a Monday, but I was having to do day shift which day shift is like hardcore punishment. Like, you know, you're not going to make any money that day right. and you're going to be there for hours. So, um, I'm there and there was all of four people in the club total of customers. And so I got on stage and one of the guys came to the stage and he tipped me. And, um, right as I was about to take the tip, he held onto it and like, didn't let me take it from him. And he goes, you know, what makes you different? And I was like, what? And he was like, there's nobody in this club and you have kept a smile on your face the entire time. And I was like, thanks, <laughs> you know? Um, and he was like, make sure you come sit at the table whenever you're done. So I'm like, okay. So I sit down with him and he was a very eccentric man. Um, very eccentric, weird, awkward, like not awkward, just weird. Just like think very Howard Hughes eccentric, like just out there, like maybe possible genius, the way right. he talks and communicates and his delivery. It was just like, unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, um, you know, I had that role that I don't leave with customers and stuff. And, um, he was desperately like trying to get me to leave. And I was like, look, the, 
number one, I'm already here because I'm in trouble. So number two, if I did leave, you're going to have to pay off the manager for me to leave. Number three, if I do leave, I'm not going anywhere with you unless it's in a public place. And number four, you're going to have to pay me serious money for me to leave. And there's no sex happening at all. So get that out of your head. And he was like, done. And I was like, okay, well, alrighty then. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, I'm, I just gave him a pretty crazy number to pay me. There's no way I was going to make that all day stripping. And so I was like, screw it, whatever. And I was 19 and maybe I was 20. No, I think I was 19. No, I was 19. I was 19. And I wasn't even old enough to drink. And he went to a bar. He didn't know I wasn't old enough to drink. So I met him at this bar. It was called like Margarita Lounge in Dallas or something like that. And um, so I was like, wait a minute. I can't get in. I'm not 21. Like, they're not going to let me in, checking my ID. And he was like, he started laughing. And he goes, you can get in anywhere with me. And I was like, um, dude, like, I'm not sure if you don't know how the law works or something, but they're going to check my ID and not let me in. And he was like, come on. And he goes, first, we have a rule. He goes, I just paid you the money. You're coming out. And he was like, from here on out, you're never allowed to ask me why. You can't ask why about anything, how I'm going to do something, why I'm going to do something, whatever. He's like, you can't ask any questions. And I was like, no, I don't agree with that. And he goes, okay, I promise you, I will never put you in danger of any kind and at any point in time. If you want to bail out and say you're done for the night, you can leave whenever you want. But while you're in my presence, you cannot ask why. And I was like, okay, deal. So we walk in, they're like, Hey Mike. And I'm like, okay, they clearly know this dude. And they just open the rope and let us right in. And I'm like, well, alrighty then. We get to the bar. He buys the entire bar shots as soon as we walk in. Then he goes to the bathroom and he tips the valet guy a hundred bucks, hundred dollar bill for the bathroom. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, insane. Right. And meanwhile, we're at this bar and everybody's coming over to him. Like, Mike, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I'm like, okay, like whatever. And, um, I end up hanging out with him all night long and I'm meeting all these amazing people and everyone is just raving to be around this guy. And meanwhile, I have no idea who he is, what he does for a living, nothing. I'm not allowed to ask questions. And, um, at the end of the night, um, I was like, okay, it's time for me to go home. I'm ready for bed. Like it's, it's been a long one. That was fun. Cool. Kudos. We exchanged numbers, all that. And, um, and he said, there's something different about you. And I was like, okay. And he was like, no, like I've frequented a lot of strip clubs in my time. And he was like, and you are very, very different. And he was like, I just think that you haven't had enough people believe in you. You haven't had enough people give you any direction in life. And I'm like, you don't know me. I was kind of offended. I was like, you don't know me. And he goes, what if I told you that I could change your life for the better in ways that you could never, ever imagine. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you can change my life. And he was like, come to my house tomorrow. 
And I was like, no, I'm not going to your house. And he was like, okay, come to my office tomorrow. Here's the address. And I was like, okay. So I did. And I realized that he is a CEO of this massive corporation here in Dallas with all these employees running around and he is decked to the nines in a suit and has this massive office. And I walk in and I'm like, Hey, it's me from last night, <laughs> you know? And he's like, Oh, wonderful. Come on in, you know? And he gives me a book. And it was called The Four Agreements by Miguel Reese. Oh, I have a, um, I can't pull it off the shelf. I forget, uh, somewhere up here. Well, I read it. I read it, uh, I read it like eight months ago. Yeah. And I, and I know The Mastery of Love as well is one of my first reads by, yes. by the same author. So. Yeah. So that was my very first book. And he goes, do you read? And I was like, not really. And he was like, read this book. And when you're done, call me. And he goes, but do not call me until you're done reading the book. And I was like, what is this about? And he goes, I told you I was going to change your life. And he goes, no questions. And I was like, okay, so I'm never allowed to ask you questions and you're going to change my life. And I just have to do what you say. And he was like, yeah, pretty simple. And I was like, okay. So I took the book and I left and I sat in my car and there was just something different about him. I'd never met anybody like him. And I just said, fuck it. Like, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm still stripping. I'm still, you know, I'm still doing my thing. Like, let's see what this guy's about, you know? And, uh, I did. And so every single time, basically long story short, every single time I came back to him, he would give me another book. So it was like the four agreements. And then it was like good to great. And then it was the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Yeah. And then it was how to win friends and influence people. And then it was rich dad, poor dad. And then, it, you know what I mean? And the list just goes on and on and on with all of those like super popular, amazing books now, you know, that's what I was reading. And, and mind you, like I hadn't read since like high school. Like I like I, that was not how I passed my time. I passed my time by watching TV, you know? And, um, I didn't even read magazines or anything, but here I was reading all of these super intense books and I found that I really liked them. And every time I came back to him, he would test me on it. Like pop quiz. Like he'd be like, you got two seconds. I'm going to ask you a question. You have two seconds to answer. You don't answer it right. He goes, you have to reread the book. Hmm. He would make me reread books. And, um, so it was a really amazing experience. And eventually he told me about Tony Robbins, which I didn't know who he was. And he said, I want you to go to one of his seminars. So this is the first, you know, probably six months that we're hanging out. And a ticket was like 400 bucks back then. It was to UPW, Unleash the Power Within, yeah. right here in Dallas. And, uh, and he goes, I want you to book a ticket and I want you to go. And so I called my mom and I said, you want to go with me? And she said, yeah. And so we went because it was buy one ticket, get one free. And so I took my mom with me and it was the most life changing thing that I had ever experienced ever. And I became addicted to self-development and, um, growth. And so I was addicted to Tony Robbins and I got really addicted to Mike being my newfound mentor. And, uh, he mentored me for 10 years. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I love Tony Robbins as well. That was one of the first, uh, transformational books that I read in, in my life, The Awaken the Giant Within. I, I probably told you that, I think, like two weeks ago. I think we were talking about that. Now, Rachel, you, we're going to work towards wrapping up. You're in your mid-30s, and I think people want to know, like, what's next for you? I mean, you can't really, 
it, it's porn is almost like the NFL. Like you can't do it forever or, or am I, or am I mistaken? You know? Well, I think that it's subjective to how you go about building your career. I mean, there's Nina Hartley, right? She's very successful, even still shot very regularly still. What? How old is she? Um, God, how old is Nina Hartley? I mean, fifties. Fifties. Wow. Oh, Do you know who Nina Hartley is? I, I have no idea. I'm I'm ignorant to, to most okay, of that see. stuff. Okay, let's see. Nina Hartley. Here she is. Wikipedia. Gotta love Wikipedia. Gotta love Wikipedia. They, the, the teachers in high school always harped on it. Like, never use a source from Wikipedia. But it's pretty good. Really? I don't understand that. She's 59. Oh, my gosh. And well, is that, is that going to be you or what? I'm not saying it is going to be me, but it just goes to say that depending on how you go about building your brand and your career, you can stay in porn for a very long time. Um, men obviously have a lot longer shelf life. You know, women usually have a lot shorter shelf life. I would say the average girl that gets in porn is probably only in for a year before Whoa. she's done. Um, so it's very rare for a girl to get past the five year mark. Rare. And you're and, uh, you're at twelve or something, right? I'm at twelve, yeah. And so when those girls make it to the four year mark, like those girls have put in some major effort, some major business planning, some ma I mean, they have really made it their career. It 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 turns from just a fast paced, fun lifestyle that you get paid for to I'm actually having to manage this as a brand. Like I have to think about the kind of bookings I'm getting. I'm having to think about the kind of scenes and filming that I'm accepting. I'm having to think about my social media. I'm, you know, getting incorporated. I'm doing my taxes right. I'm, you're thinking so far in advance um, when you get to that kind of a mark because it really does become a serious career at that point. Um, so I'm 12 years in right now. Um, I have no exit plan as of right now. Um, I plan on milking it for everything I can get out of it. I still love my job so very much. Um, I don't do as many scenes. Like my first year, I told you I do 100 scenes. I did 100 scenes my first year. I would say now I probably do anywhere between 10 to 25 scenes a year. And I've been that way for probably like the last five or six years. Um, and that's just because like, I have a lot of my time in, in, you know, like I have another company. Um, so I invest in real estate. I, um, I, I just, I have my hands in a lot of different things. Like, uh, you know, I partnered with a company with my mentor, um, in Canada and, um, you know, eventually that, you know, I got, I pulled back out of that. That was a little much for me. Um, and I pulled out of that. Um, but I've definitely put my hands in a lot of different areas and I make money in a lot of different ways outside of porn and within the whole industry as a whole. Like I do texting, I do webcamming, I do filming, I do feature dancing, I do headlining. I, you know, I do all kinds of things, but, um, I would say number one, it's like the number one thing that I do is invest in investing in real estate and um, rental properties and going that route. Like that's the route that I'm led down. Like I would like to get to the point that I eventually own probably like a 300, um, 300 unit apartment complex is what I would like to get mm -hmm. to the point that I do. Gotcha. That's awesome. So 
Rachel, we're going to get to some, some fast facts here. And okay. these are the rapid fire. And I want you to answer with you know, maybe the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, you ready? Favorite song? Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? Oh, God, yeah, you just texted me that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that was your favorite. I thought it was just an in-the-moment thing. Anyway, uh, okay. It's my uh, favorite right now, and you told me to answer fast. So right now, in this moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 gotcha. Phone background. My what? What's your phone background? Phone? Yeah, you're like your lock screen. Oh, Aw, it's my puppy. Oh, your puppy. Oh, you wow. See? It's Gorgeous. Daisy. She's a Katande Tulier. Oh, that's Daisy. Okay, gotcha. That's Daisy. Um, favorite book? Oh, seriously? Oh, my favorite book? I'm a book nerd. I read like all the time. I have so many. Oh, do you my see, God, do you see the, the books surrounding me right here? I got a favorite. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. The Four Agreements by Miguel Reese. This is the very first one that set me on my path. The four agreements. Awesome. Cool. Uh, what's a bad habit that you have? Smoking. I went from smoking regular cigarettes. Now I'm at e-cigarettes. Um, and the jewel to answer your question, the reason that I smoke the jewel is because it is the only e-cigarette out of all e-cigarettes that have actually gotten me away from smoking real cigarettes. Okay. Okay. And I think that that's a good trade off because at least I don't have to deal with the smell and the smoke and the ashes and the, ugh, you yeah, know, so, I, I agree. I agree with you. And I totally understand that now. It makes a lot of sense. Yes. Definitely a, a, a good trade-off. Um, your favorite hobby? Oh, my favorite hobby. Going to the lake in the summer. Mm -hmm. Now this one, this one's, this one has some back story to it uh, with yesterday. Coffee or tea? Oh, heavens to Betsy. <laughs> okay, let, let, me just, let me just tell people. I, I get on the phone with Rachel yesterday, and, we, and all of a sudden, we're going on a journey to find her lost cup of tea that I, God knows where she put it. Where did you put it on the bottom of the, you put it on the floor of your pantry? No, it was in my closet. Oh, oh, even better. <laughs> I know. So like, okay, so first of all, my voice was feeling a little like my throat was like a little scratchy. And so I was drinking green tea with honey in it. And I'm um, just trying to make myself, you know, kind of get myself better. And it was my last bag of green tea. It was my last cup or I was going to have to go to the store. And we have this call scheduled and I sat down my green tea and, and I couldn't figure out where it was. And by the way, a, like my floors are dark, my a lot of the rooms in my house are dark, you know, and, I, and it was in a black cup. And I'm searching all over my house for this green tea. And it was a fresh cup, so it was warm, and it had the honey, and it was perfect. And then I have this call with you, and I just couldn't let it go. And so I go on a scavenger hunt with Jordan on the phone, and I just can't let go. I can't figure it out. I'm, like, walking all through my house. And I'm like, where on God's name could I have put it? And, uh, I just couldn't remember where I sat it down. And ironically, the second I found it, I knew I remembered putting it down right there. So I was in my closet and I noticed that there were some dirty clothes that were on the floor instead of actually in the hamper in my closet. And I set the cup down so I could use both hands to gather up the clothes and put it in the ha hamper. And I walked out and closed the door and left my coffee cup on the closet floor. Yeah. It was a 15 minute excursion. So it coffee, or, coffee or tea. 
I'm going to have to say coffee, actually, because I, I, I usually only drink tea when I'm not feeling well. Okay, okay. Favorite alcohol, or do you not drink? Wine. Oh, yes, me too. Okay, wine. But also also sake. I, you know, Japanese uh, sake. Have you ever had that? I have. I'm not a big fan, though. What? Well, okay, I have this... I have this sparkling sake called social and it's like, uh, Oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's like four, it's only like 4% alcohol. So it's, it's like not as intense as the regular sake. And I got like cucumber hibiscus. I, I, you would love it. You would love it. I think, um, I, everyone kind of likes it, but anyway, (laughs) or I mean, a lot of people think I'm weird too, before they try it. Anyway, uh, favorite food. Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't. I'm from Texas and I'm right by Mexico. Like Tex-Mex. Gotcha. It's the best. <laughs> Fair enough. Pet peeve. What's a pet peeve of yours? Ooh, bad hygiene. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I feel that too. It's like a, it's definitely like a sign of a, a lack of respect towards that a, yourself. A lack of know. awareness too. Like totally. when someone has bad breath or bad BO, I'm like, are you that unaware of your bodily things that are going on and how that is affecting the people around you? Like, can we do something about that? Yeah. I'm a chronic flosser too. Like I'm like, I, I have floss in my purse. I have floss in every room of my house, my office, all my bathrooms in both of my cars, in the glove box, like suitcases, makeup bags. I have floss everywhere. Mm. (laughs) So, Rachel, it's been uh, it's been quite the Valentine's Day with yeah. you. It's been quite an eventful Valentine's Day. Is uh, you know people can visit you at therachelstar.com, which shameless plug. I'm the one fixing up your website right now, and <laughs> <laughs> I know you got my podcast page all fixed up. So yeah. everybody that is listening, go to therachelstar.com and go to the podcast section and he finally gave me a very updated super modern sleek look and it's all thanks to Jordan like yeah. wow it's sick i'm pretty proud of that one and then um and then people can find you pretty much everywhere instagram twitter um for me jordanparis.com podcast growth mindset university and uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at J underscore Paris underscore. And so Rachel, before I ask my final question, um, is there anything that you've not shared that, that you have the need to share right now? Yeah, actually there is. I oh. have to say that um, this podcast uh, is really became like totally like all my story. I had all of these questions that I wanted to ask you. Oh, I didn't know. This one's been a pretty long one. So this is what I suggest. I suggest that um, we do another one really, really soon. Oh, yeah. we'll, We'll do one where I get to ask you a lot more questions because I am super fascinated with the fact that you're 21 years old. You're already an author. You have got this amazingly successful podcast. Um, that you've started the people 
that you have interviewed so far, I was very impressed. And I really want my people on my podcast to like, please go check out his. Um, and of course, everybody that's on yours, shameless plug, the Rachel Star Show <laughs> is mine. Um, and so we're both on iTunes, we're both on Google Play, we're both, um, well, I'm on YouTube, I'm talking Jordan into starting him doing a vlog with his yeah. podcast. So this is, we'll see if he, uh, if he takes it on. And I think this is your first one, right? This, uh, this will be my first one, actually, yes. So. Yes. Yeah, so I hope that you keep it rolling because I really do think there is a cult following for people that like to watch them on YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, Especially with I, cool people like yourself. Oh, thank you. I, you know, it's funny because this is the first time I've ever done a podcast in my webcam room. Mm. Very interesting. Like most of the time I'm in my office or I'm in my living room um, and it's in person um, or it's uh yeah, like I, I just have a different background, but I just, I don't know. I kind of felt like it's a different background and everybody that knows me and what I do, they, maybe they are very used to this background. <laughs> yeah. So um, very interesting. But with that being said, I am very fascinated with who you are and what your story is and how you got started and 21 year old author. Wow. And um, you know, you're a developer and you're going to college and wow, you know, like I, you've got a lot of ambition for a 21 year old. You're super well-spoken. We've spoke many times, you know, before, um, leading up to this one and I'm blown away, blown away. So I have got to get to know you better. And I want my followers to know about you because that's what mine is about. My, my podcast isn't all about you know, sex and porn and, yeah. you know, that stuff. It's, it's really the one, two, threes of life. It's, it's sex, it's love, it's life. It's, it's everything. It's oh yeah. I, I second that. I listened to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so definitely let's get back on and I'm going to have a lot more questions for you, but thank you so much for spending Valentine's day with me. Oh, Rachel, thank you for spending Valentine's day with me. And thank you so much for the kind words. I was going to acknowledge you as well, just for, you know, for, it's, it's no surprise as to why you've been successful because as we hit on in the, you know, in this interview, you bring it a hundred percent of the time, like a hundred percent of the time you're a hundred percent doesn't matter who it's for. And I really appreciate that about you. And this has been amazing and I'm super thankful. Thank you very much. Okay. Well then until next time and lots of love and enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, well, Hey, 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 the, the final question we, we got, oh, we can do the oh, I forgot. There was another question. You did say there was another question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. jumping the gun over here. Don't jump the gun. No, come on. So my, on my podcast, growth mindset university, since it's all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school, but didn't. And each episode brings, you know, an upgraded guest guest with a brand new lesson. I was asked people, if you could teach a course at a university, uh, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would that be, Rachel? If I could teach a course at a university, and I'm the teacher, <laughs> I'm the expert in this course, I would teach about sexual freedom and sexual. everything that that encompasses. 
I would teach about um, not shaming people, being more accepting of people, exploring your sexuality, um, finding your power in it, knowing the difference between masculine and feminine energy that's not necessarily gender related. Um, I would teach um, how to navigate how society treats you, um, what your rights are. Um, I would teach how to make it a successful business if you want to, or whether it's just something that you want to do in your personal life, how to navigate relationships and difficult conversations, um, in exploring your sexual freedom. So, yeah. Rachel Starr. I'm sure university would take that on, but <laughs> if, if I could, <laughs> hey, that's hey. what I would teach. <laughs> right on. Rachel Starr, you are awesome. Keep being awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, Search the show, Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris. Tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and then just hit that fifth star, and that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful if you do that. We're pushing 100 ratings right now, and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course... If you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it. And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot. Send it to them. Take a screenshot. Put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, my book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow to give.